Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell. Great. So today... Uh, and uh, Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. Thank, thank you, Russ. Yeah, well, uh, you can't let's, see him. Let's not forget about our <laughs> yeah. dear friend and graduate assistant, Jacob Michael. So. So today, much anticipated episode we've been talking about here in the office for a few days. Uh, we're going to discuss, and I'll put a link to this, a, a Sunday special episode of, of Ben Shapiro's podcast with Tucker Carlson. And they, they, they talk a lot of, you know, wide range of different things. But um, one of the things they hit on is kind of economic policy and innovation and that sort of thing. And uh, they take kind of two two very distinct positions on it, and I think the 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 one that the 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 example that they discuss that most exemplifies this, I think, is Ben Shapiro is asking Tucker about his views on innovation and how uh, and automation specifically, and how that affects the economy and how uh, like driverless cars, right? Like driverless cars, and in this case, driverless trucks, uh, right. you know, semis. And so there's, there's one moment in there where Ben Shapiro asks Tucker, well, if you were the president, you know, and you could just impose a ban on trucks, uh, you know, auto, uh, self-driving trucks and this sort of thing, you know, would you, would you do that? Would you cut that innovation and that automation? And not down? allow. Yeah. And not allow it just so that truck driving could still be the, the most common occupation for guys without a college degree around the country in every state. And, and Tucker says, in a second, are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> without hesitation. Uh, without yeah. hesitation. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's a very, it's just a very clean division, I think, between the sort of kind of this, these two groups that, that are, you know, one side is very much um, in favor of innovation and, and then the other is kind of taking things more from a social perspective and thinking more about, you know, how that, how that innovation impacts people. So, I, I, I will just unabashedly say that I am in the Tucker camp on this question, and so and uh, I am not. I'm happy to take all comers. <laughs> I'm, I've got my I've got my uh, you know 16 ounce gloves. I on. just see this as such a slippery slope that you can't uh, just prohibit growth and change. A somebody will, they'll probably find a workaround around it, or they'll be spending undue dollars to try to lobby for change to allow it. And we'll spin our tires, wasting resources doing that. No pun um, intended on the spinning tires. Yes, right, <laughs> right, exactly. But to be afraid of the innovation is to not think of things. It's, it's creating a straw man argument, I think, in that we don't know what's around the corner on how that'll change. And so by clogging up that system, you just opened up when I meant slippery slope is that now you've got the door open for all kinds of industries to say the same thing. And we just bring everything to a grinding halt, trying to protect the status quo rather than embracing a dynamic changing economy and society, a healthy growing uh, place where people know that there's change, where the USDA might be moved from Washington DC to Kansas city 
Woohoo! Uh, we like that here in Kansas City. Yeah, I heard some DC folks aren't too happy, but uh, they're going to love it when they. Yeah, well, they're going to love it when they move here and find that they're going to get double the house at half the price uh, <laughs> compared to what they had in DC. What a pay raise they're going to get! But, yeah. but nonetheless, that type of thing. It's just, I think, uh, a healthier place to be is is for all of our citizens to know you need to be preparing yourself and always be ready for change. And, and that means creating social systems, uh, friendships and nurturing family relationships so that if you're the one that loses the job because of innovation or other reasons, you've got, you've built in your own safety net. It's not always going to be the government that's there uh, to help. Although I'm not adverse to having a government safety net as well in terms of unemployment insurance. Now, I think it maybe goes too far uh, some cases, but I'm not one to abolish that. Heck, I'll even look at the universal basic income for crying out loud, but then you have to wipe out everything else. But we've had episodes on that before. Well, so I think I think there's several several different things here that, that, that get at different levels of the conversation. So first of all, I think there's, I, I think maybe we, the way we can do this is we can talk about the practical stuff first and then in the second half, maybe we can get at some of these more fundamental issues. Things like, do do property rights just sort of exist uh, uh, separated from the social world? And do does does a a push for constant and, and and you know unleashed innovation does that undermine the very social systems you're saying operate as a as a safety net? So I think we save that for the second half, but. For the first half, I, I, I think what's interesting about this is, is we, we, we tend to, when we're talking about this innovation stuff, we tend to sort of move into this world of the very much detached from the way stuff actually occurs. So yes, it's true that in the long run, right, that innovation- Don't even go with in the long run, we're all dead. If you're <laughs> a Keynesian quote, man, we're, yeah. we're really going to be at odds. In the long run- <laughs> In the long run, we, you know, innovation does not lose jobs for us. Stipulated, fine. But the problem is, and I, and I, think, I think Arthur Brooks did a great job showing us all of this in his documentary, The Pursuit. Um, when they go to Appalachia and they show you the 55-year-old guy with two kids, you know, living out in the middle of nowhere, you know, his mining job or whatever, manufacturing type job was basically outsourced, you know, or innovated away. And so, you know, because what is the sort of rationalist, you know, point of view on this? Well, just, you know, workers will retrain and then therefore they'll have a job and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't always happen, right? When a 55-year-old loses their job, I don't even know if they're cognitively at a point where they can retrain. I mean, there's a, hey, a, a great I'm getting up there. Yeah. I'm not there. Well, yet, I'm, I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm <laughs> saying like, there's a very interesting article. Yeah, I saw no, it's a pinch for somebody to be in for sure. I, I saw an article that on, on Twitter, that the, uh, an Atlantic article, I think, and I will put this in the show notes where it talks about how your, your sort of peak as uh, as a productive, you know, workforce participant is in your fifties. Mm -hmm. And then you fall off a cliff. I mean, it's not even like when in your, after your mid fifties, it's not even that you're as productive as you were when you were a starry eyed, wet behind the ears, you know, 16 year old. It just plummets. Productivity measured as income earned or productivity as some other. It's just, capacity. it's like your ability to live in a dynamic marketplace kind of thing. And so like to make these sorts of changes and stuff like that. Mm. And so like, because what does the guy say in the pursuit, right? He's like, he's like, 
well, what am I supposed to do? Go back to college? You know, go to college? I mean, how, how would I even? Yeah. Right. And, and there's all these things around that. And so I think. A, a um, small part of me wants, uh, again, I, I'm not at the extreme of this, but says we need some of those or some of the, as some of those sub, sob stories come up in a, in a, in a market system and in our society, hopefully if we stay bound to this is life, life is ever changing, make sure you have a rainy day fund, prepare for emergencies. Mm -hmm. If our cultural mindset was different because of those stories and knowing that automated driverless cars are coming and knowing that that if we really change that, you can preserve a lot of your own, or at least have a high probability of preserving your own culture and your own ways by doing things that are going to set you up for if that happens. I'm just thinking, you know, long-term emergency fund and, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, we're talking like, we're talking like a quarter of a century for this guy. Like, I mean, he's 50 years old. He lost his job. I mean, he's, yeah, you know, he may live till he's 75. Well, but so the average truck worker in the U S is 55. I was looking at, so I mean, is that right? Yeah. So wow. I mean, there, a lot of people are going to be in that boat. So if we start talking about it now, doesn't it give them chances to either start an emergency fund or try to figure something out? Because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But it is. It is more difficult. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, well, what are you thinking here? Yeah. Well, keeping in mind that I, I work on the logistics side of the. Oh, that's right. You are in the trucking or related to the trucking industry. Yes. Uh, yeah, I I would also agree with Jacob that. We, we are far away from having driverless trucks. There are just so many certifications and things that are necessary. So like liquid in totes, for example, like you have to have something on your driver's license specifically that you can drive with that much liquid. And so to have automated trucks that can adjust for the oh, all the safety the issues and stuff. Yeah. yeah well, even are, are we talking, are we talking five years, 10 years? I mean, I know it's not happening next year, but um, I would say we're, we're potentially there in 10 years. Well, Amazon's already using some autonomous. I mean, they're talking drones and everything. And, and, and the other part that doesn't get brought up is the, the trucking business is so huge and the reduction in costs that would end up ultimately filtering through into market prices. Once again, we're going to have, Prices falling uh, and our real wages climbing would be my guess. Now, for those but, who don't right. have a job, yeah, that's right. So I think wages I think I think the other the other response, and I think this is more what Tucker gets into, is he's not he's not talking like I am about fifty year olds. He's talking about twenty year olds. You know, because th this is the most common job in every state in the country okay, for fair. someone yeah. who is mm -hmm. who is who does not have a college degree. Right. And so he's, he, and what does he talk about? Right. He goes through, he's like, you know, they, they can't buy a car, much less buy a house, much less get married. Right. So they're, they're, they can't even get their lives started as a, at a reasonable age. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then we start talking about serious long-term consequences like population decline, uh, you know, demographic winter kind of stuff, you know, where, where people, people aren't getting married and having children until they're in their mid thirties. Well then, you know, they're at a much higher risk for birth defects they're going to have fewer children. And I mean, you know, that's in, in those, in our macro growth models, right, Russ? You know, if you're, you're in is declining, you've got big problems for future yeah, yeah, growth. For, so it's but generational. So it's almost kind of funny, like how it's, it's not, it's not just a short-term argument that I'm making. It's also a very long-term thing. And it's like, yeah, maybe they're going to be employed, but, and maybe to an extent, you know, they'll have higher real be wages of the because people. they've got, you know, more, you know, they got more, as Tucker says, you know, more cheap plastic crap from China, but that doesn't necessarily 
build a community and keep the stability of that community, which again, maybe that doesn't have a market price, but it certainly could be valuable. Yeah, Jason. But I think there's something to note there about the, the like Jacob said, the average age is 55. There are a lot of these industries that you see the the age for people in their 20s actually joining that industry have reduced significantly mm-hmm. and will probably continue to reduce significantly and, for years and, down the road. Yeah, I wanted to say something on that too to Levi. I mean, exactly what Jason was saying. We're seeing historically that it's shifting because right now um, I was reading Bob Costello, who's the chief economist for the American Trucking Association, said that they're having a trouble right now, but not being able to fill 60,000 trucking jobs across the country and trying to have to incentivize young people to take these jobs that they don't want anymore. And they think that's going to grow. Don't like, want or they see the writing on the wall, maybe. <laughs> right. But so, I mean, autonomous vehicles can help take that step to fill these jobs and make, I mean, we need trucking. I mean, the more efficient yeah, so generation was after generation have always been worried about, oh, the things are changing and what are the youth going to do or how are they going to find jobs? And guess what? We just always find it. We pursue our own self-interest and the public interest yeah. to serve. Right. And, and, so, and, then, and then all of the, all of the connections to family have, have further fallen apart. People are more and more materialistic than they ever have been. And so it's like none of, you know, and people are more detached from their place, right? All these towns around the entire country are just falling apart. Detroit is, is a hollow shell. You're starting to sound shell. like Tucker Carlson. I'd like to see <laughs> yeah. data on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, yes, well, I, I, mean, I believe anecdotally <laughs> that that's what it's that's what it seems like because of the media and things that get. I mean, we could go face, back but, to our we could go yeah. back to our episode with Rebecca Dudensing several months ago about you know. Yeah, remember she had the, massive the smart effort downsizing. To, I don't know what she well what sure the word was where. But, but we're not talking about, about how do yeah. how do how do they become smaller. Right, but that, but smart downsizing is not sort of the inexorable climb forever to more Chinese crap. Like, you know what I mean? Like that—that's a totally different thing than just saying like, "Oh well, you know, your town fell apart. Well, just move, you bum. Like, quit complaining and move to the city." To me, this there's there's all this value to these social goods that just doesn't get put into our economic models, and. It's so it's so difficult to argue against it because I don't have a dollar figure, you know, and I don't have. It's like, oh, you know, my 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 blender works better than it did in the seventies, and it's like, <laughs> oh, great, you know. But now, you know, you, you don't even know your grandmother, and she's just in some home, uh, you know, five hundred miles away. Yeah. you had to move. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, those things matter. You know, that's that's concrete reality. Yeah. I I'm hoping that having discussions like that, like I do think we have to take what economists can do in terms of the calculations and then just not hang our hat on that, that it's pure science. Right. And that's always been like Hayek's objection and other people that uh, in the Austrian perspective is that there's too much credibility put into those models when, when there probably need to be these other considerations brought in that are just harder to measure. And so a lot of times Mm -hmm. economists, you know, this Levi, that we, uh, oh, well, this this is a really interesting problem, but there's just not enough data. Ah, I better go find something else, right? Yeah, and so it's like right. if there's not data, if there's not something they can crunch out econometrically, yeah. then it yeah. that problem doesn't get tackled. It's, it? it's that's, the, not, that's not good. That's where that's where the economics profession has drifted away from right. that. Yeah, and I think the, the, the joke for that is the, the drunk looking for his keys under the lamppost. Yeah. Like all he can see is just the light under the lamppost. Right. Well, his key's probably not there. It's probably off in the dark, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely been a little bit more of a, of a narrow focus. So, okay. Um, well, that looks like a pretty good spot to, to wrap for this first half. And uh, you brought up property rights existing separate from the social world. 
I say no off the face of that. Uh, I think that there is a place for the face-to-face -face interaction and uh, the commercial society, as Adam Smith would say. And so I, I think that that dichotomy is something that exists and needs to be more well thought out. And we'll try to explore that a little bit more in, yeah. the, in the second half. So Sounds good. We'll uh, head into break. The Gortney Institute's vision, by 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economics understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Don't forget to check out our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysucks.org. Okay, so we're back, and uh, I, I think we want to continue the discussion a little bit with kind of some broader broader points on this whole idea of technology and, and property rights and this sort of thing. I mean, I think I think it all again. The, this a lot of this boils down to the sort of innovation and technology thing. And one thing we have to think about is that when we we use this word innovation as if it's like you know it has this connotation like it's always good. But I mean, I could certainly point to several innovations that I would argue are objectively bad things. And so it's, it's not necessarily, um, you know, just willy-nilly letting whatever happen happen, but the, the property rights have to be, have to happen under some kind of a moral framework. And if your moral framework is just absolute moral relativism, then don't be surprised if, you know, you get a materialistic cultural decline that Tucker talks about a lot, I think, with, with this whole idea of more Chinese junk and stuff like this. So, I mean, the innovation thing, yeah, that's important, but it can't be the most important thing or you get a lot of moral type of decay, which I think fits in with the sort of faith component of this podcast. So, you know, for example, like... Uh, oh, great. I was going to say, give me an example. <laughs> yeah, so, a, okay, well, I, I, can play with. I, I think they're... Okay, so... Never has has humanity been more efficient. Actually, before you do that, hold that thought. Because sure. I think for the listeners, when economists talk about technology, a change in technology, it is generally a good thing in terms of our models because it, an, an additional technology means that you're more productive with uh, the same amount of resources or it frees up some resources, which means it frees up some costs. And so you can be more productive with a given set of resources if you come up with maybe just a new process, a new way of doing it. Maybe it's a new invention, a new machine or whatever. Now, the bad part is that that 
relieves potentially some other resource that was there, i.e. labor, which is kind of the height of this. So as technology starts to replace that labor, that's where the fear comes in. It's come in generation after generation after generation. We can go back to uh, Joseph Schupeter with uh, Creative Destruction and what are people going to do when machines, industrial revolution, what are we going to do when the when the washing machine replaces, you know, people doing it by hand or, you know, whatever, time and time and time again. And there's been some interesting uh, studies that are tables that show where that labor substituted in hindsight. But at the time, you don't know where it's going. And so I probably do, maybe to a fault, hold that people are going to figure something out. And But that doesn't sit well with most people. I'm, I think I'm an oddball in that regard. That, oh, it's not planned out. Russ, you don't understand. People might be starving yeah, so, in the like I, said, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's all about like the, the planning concern. I think it's, so again, I think this comes back to me kind of being a little bit more about like the, the, the concrete, uh, you know, sort of empirical things that happen. And so like, for instance, I, I think. Which is where Tucker was coming from a little bit too. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think. And I'll make a I'll make a quick connection on that too here in a minute. But so, for instance, I think one one example of maybe the cost that we haven't fully counted on technology is yeah we have great you know you can have like the little camera on your door you know that tells you who's in your house and you can talk to them you know something that was only available to super rich people you know fifty years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. right but along with that has come an unprecedented ability for the government to spy on you and figure out everything you're doing. Right. I mean, yeah. just a few years ago, we had this big thing about metadata and you know, the government can know all, all the stuff from the phone calls, you know, who you call yeah. and when you call them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unreal, right? I mean, you were horrified by the Alexa thing in my house. You know? <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. terrifying. Like what and David just bought done? a new uh, iPad because there's, um, you know, pooped out on her. And, and so she buys it and she's like, Oh, it came with Alexa. And I'm like, great. Yeah. <laughs> and so all of a sudden she says, you know, Alexa play, uh, yeah. play a song. And it's always it listening to comes you. To life. It's always listening. Yeah, yeah. It's just sitting there. And think about it this way. Who provides the, the servers for the federal government? Amazon web service. Yeah. So, you know, we're like yeah. two steps away and from the social credit system. She's not on that either. We tried to do, I think it's disabled now, but I don't know. She's yeah. probably still listening. And so I don't, I don't think this is some kind of conspiracy theory thing. I mean, it's, no. it's just, it's a concrete, you know, so like, it's how do fact. we count that cost? Yeah, how do we count that cost? And, 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 and is it worth it? But I, I, and, and that's the standard <laughs> trade-off historically of safety, national security for freedom, right? Um, when, when the terrorists sure. hit uh, 9-11, um, oh well, we're 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 gonna have the Patriot Act, and we're gonna we're gonna be able to spy mm-hmm. on people. Yeah. Well, well, we're only looking after the bad guys. Yeah, don't worry right, about right. it. Don't worry about that. Of course, they have to. Well, and that that be that's where it comes becomes very very complicated, right? Because then you're actually talking about trade offs between two types of safety, right? Safety from a terrorist incident or safety from the government. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so. That's right. And they, they kind of are one and the same in case the terrorists do take over the government. Then, then we're talking about, <laughs> you know, the right to bear arms is there for a reason right. that we might not always have uh, safe people like, uh, you know, President Obama, President Trump in office that'll take care of us in a nurturing, motherly way. So we, we just don't know who's going to be in office. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it just seems, it just seems to me that there, there, there has to be some kind of, recognition that property rights don't come down to us on stone tablets, right? They're, 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 they're within some kind of societal structure. Uh, you know, it's funny that you say stone tablets because I think they do. 
Thou shalt not steal. That was probably the wrong phrase. I know, I know. <laughs> In I this gonna, room, I that was gonna, the wrong phrase. I was going to catch you on that one, but because, it. yeah, it is, property rights are implied on the stone tablets. Thou shalt not but, steal. Okay. That guy owns it. There's an establishment of so, property rights. Okay, so. but so maybe in a very broad, overarching sense, right? We talked about coveting before. But 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 here's the thing. But here's the thing, right? It's, it's like, um, I know you didn't, you, you weren't able to come to the free market forum, the discussion on big tech. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that. Yeah. I'll put a link to this because... Luigi Zingales, who I've not always liked very much, he's, a, he's an economist at uh, Chicago, and he had a very interesting discussion of big tech in the sense that it's not straightforwardly, you know, well, we think big tech should be able to do whatever the heck they want because property rights versus we don't like property rights, get rid of big tech. Yeah. It's, it's very nuanced because the specific things that big tech has been allowed to do within, within a very broad private property sense has affected their ability to get to scale um, and to buy up all their competitors and all of this sort of thing. Well, property rights lies right at the heart of that though, right? Because you're saying, look, let them do whatever they want, not recognizing that they're treating our individual property rights as common property all of a sudden, or we're signing off on it willy-nilly with the agreement that says you'll allow them to track you. But what I'm saying is that that is much less clear than just the general idea that like Russ, Russ earned $500 and he bought a lawnmower. Like yeah. that's very simple, but the more technology we get, the more complicated this stuff gets. But it is a property rights issue. Sure. Yeah. 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 I just think it's, I just think it's much more complicated and much more contextual. Yeah. And, and, we, and I would, I would concede that we need to be careful in how we proceed forward. Not so much being anti-technology or anti-growth, but rather let's make sure well-defined property rights are in place, I think is what Coase would say coming into this and say as much as possible. And and maybe it comes down to a leap of faith, but I don't like that leap of faith thing because we have done that. I get uncomfortable when I'm clicking the button of, I agree to allow you to track me. Yes, you can see all my contacts. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I will worship you uh, (laughs) with with a little prayer at the end. Yeah, oh, it's Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, nowhere and yeah, and just let, like some guy who just you know dropped out of college and started coding, like all of a sudden he gets to make all these decisions <laughs> about who gets to say what on all these platforms. This weird yeah. aristocracy, yeah. you know. And, and that's where the concentration of power. I mean, not to drift too much off topic here, but yeah. I think it's all well, I think, related. I think it fits. It's, yeah, it's all related because sure. it, it's right back to if we if we stick to our guns of not look being suspicious anyway of concentrated mm-hmm. power. Boom, we've got it, right? I mean, Zuckerberg and, and Bezos, and right. I mean, these are pretty highly concentrated parts of power, even if the cost is low and we don't have a direct fee that we're paying, what we're subjected to is yeah. not at our disposal. Right. They they have they have the advertising money to do to do whatever they want. The with messaging, content the advertising yeah. and all of that sure. comes after they've pegged us as the revenue stream is totally different stereotyped us basically and something. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think that's kind of fits in with another point that you and I actually talked about, I think in our debate a few months ago, which is this idea that if, if we're going to just allow technology to just do whatever the heck it wants um, in terms of, you know, progress and all that sort of thing, which suspiciously sounds like a slightly different political ideology that, that starts with progressive. But, um, <laughs> but we, we talked about sort of the, the distinction between sort of your personal interactions with people that you know and you care about versus your sort of market interactions. And I think what we've seen 
to some extent is that technological progress, right? Uh, innovation and in different things tends to push things that once were personal into the market. I, I mean, this one's yeah. That was that joke that I sent you about the yeah. We used to think local is called the medieval times. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so that and so and so this gets to another interesting point. So I and, and Adam Smith brought that up too. What right. commercial society eventually it, it does compress into more and more impersonal. So I think I think that's an interesting point too because I think we we also get to this this idea of we're we're sort of having this very rational debate, you know, in sort of very high high type of terms. But what I think is really interesting is we talk about, you know, people having not enough materially, right, in two different ways. We're either talking about it in a relative sense, right, with like inequality. Right. That's always there. Well, right. Or we talk about it in, a, in a, an objective sense, right? It, we have Absolute a poverty sense. line, right? Yeah. And so what I think is interesting is that sort of Ben Shapiro would say poverty line, right? He would want an absolute measure mm-hmm. of people who have not enough versus people who have enough, right? Whereas, you know, what we might call the modern left has this, is, is very much not, they don't like that absolute measure, right? They're concerned about inequality. But what, I'm, what I think Tucker is, is putting forward is another objective measure that's just slightly different, right? He's just saying, at what point do we say enough innovation, enough ease of life is enough? Because as we heard in that, that talk at Creighton, difficulty builds character. And so if you just make every, yeah. if you make everybody's life super easy, yeah. then you end up at Wally, right? Where everybody's just like weighs 900 pounds and they're just floating around on a chair and stuff. I guess my pushback to that would be that the, the number of people going back to like medieval times versus now that yeah. there was a, there was a group of people, you lived in a village, let's just say a hundred people and you pretty much relied on levels of specialization within that hundred people. There was the baker, the butcher, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, and now we have less people that we depend on for the number of things we get. But my argument, my pushback would be that we still deal with the same amount of people. Like that's not being eroded. And in some sense, if we take away some of the uh, material lacking that's there, it could bring us, give us opportunities to be closer together. Now, some would argue that, that maybe I'm speaking, what? well, look around. We're not closer together. We're farther away. But are we? I mean, how many Facebook friends do you have? Well, right? I, whatever. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that's, but, that was just but I, think, I think most people comment, would say that those, those relationships are, are much, much less deep shallow, than, than real yeah. ones. And so I, I think the other thing, too, is, okay, so let's, say, let's go back to my, my, my jewelry store example, right? right? So my wife's jewelry breaks. I need it fixed. You know, I can either go down to my local shop that I've been patronizing that that I want to continue to exist, right? So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm willing to handle a little bit less variety, a little bit higher prices, right? Just to keep them there. Or I have to get a package and, and ship it off and then somebody, I don't even know who they are, I've never seen them in my entire life, they fix the jewelry and then ship it back to me. Yeah, all for a five buck savings. Right, and so the thing is, is even if it's 50 bucks, you know, like for, maybe for the average person, that's a lot of difference in, in price, fine. But, you know, kind of stretch that out across our, our, our existence. And it's like, you can build a relationship with that person that you see, yeah, but you can't that. build a relationship that, with you, this disembodied you, corporate, you know, thing that you ship but it the, off. To. How about the opportunity cost of 
visiting oh your drink <laughs> uh, the opportunity cost of visiting your jeweler gave you less time to go down deeper with another friend or an, your family or something sure. right i mean so i'm not sure there's the this del delirious or del del deleterious effect sorry that was kind of a butchering yeah. of that but uh <laughs> of of that uh relationship component and i think as innovation yeah. comes up there are ways that we're finding ways to or we're finding new ways to make those relationships and connections. Are they better? Are they not? We'll probably argue till we're blue in the well, face. I can certainly but. say my wife would be happier if she got her jewelry back immediately instead of waiting a week for it now, to come back in the mail. I think the real question <laughs> is, are there institutions that the Gortney Institute could dig into and support that would help bolster in the face of this innovating, technologically driven economy, mm -hmm. to are there institutions to bolster relationships? And so sure. possibly what we're looking for is institutional change so that we support more social networks that are more maybe face-to-face -face oriented since we already have the digital component kind of handled in an impersonal way by well, and a software developer figuring out how we can Zoom or whatever. Right, the digital part could actually help this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. They start thinking of it being a complement and maybe that's the direction we're heading to. Well, and, I, it would be nice, but I'm not so sure that's the case. I know. Yeah. I don't know either, because and, and, yeah. that would be supporting churches somehow right. or, yeah. or bolstering um, yeah. civic groups, and you well, know whether it's the Legion or it doesn't have to be religious-oriented groups necessarily. And to our sort of free market mission, I think a lot of the problems we get with this type of thing where we're, where we're pushing activity that used to be personal into the impersonal is things like Social Security, right? Johnson basically detached uh, the extended family from the nuclear family, mm -hmm. you know, with with this huge surge in the Social Security programs. Yeah, you just don't have to worry about grandma anymore. I think I I, I harp about this every. You time do, time. but I, I think it's really back. important. I think we're back. We're getting close to grandma being back in the house, though. Almost now, I, I feel like some families, may, maybe more so on the younger families, like a college mm -hmm. graduate coming back to live with parents. Right. Parents not really thinking that's that big of a deal. Whereas back in, yeah. even when I was back in high school, uh, it's like, you're, you're out of here. You're 18. Yeah, see, yeah, but I think, I think that's actually, I think that's actually a bad thing. Cause I think that feeds into what, what Tucker was talking about with the whole point of this, right. Was, was driving and it was part of new family formation. Yeah. And, you know, moving back in with mom and dad after right. college is like, that's not a new family form, right. That's not a new set of bonds created in the community. Yeah. yeah. So, Certainly it's not ideal having yeah. son come back and video gaming 24 seven exactly. in the basement. That's, right, right. that's not built. Yeah, I mean, you want him, you want him to be off on his own. He needs to be forming his own family, but grandma, you know, she's 85. Yeah, you know, grandpa different. passed, you know, she's, she's just coming back to, to find a place to, to finish out her time. So then to kind of circle this back, sure. 20 something doesn't, can't get a truck driving job now because there's none of those left because they're all driving themselves. And so Tucker's <laughs> argument is, yeah, yeah. Stop that have a law in place and I just can't agree to that protectionist stuff. I'm sorry. I, I know we've had a fruitful discussion here, but you know, and so here's, here, I'll I make this last comment. There. What's really funny about that or what, what I like about that is if you, if you listen to Ben Shapiro's other conversation with Andrew Yang, which, which we did, that was for the Yang bucks, right? Or yeah. That, that's so discussion. he, so he tackles the same issue, this, this driving, this truck driver thing, yeah. because Yang talks about this. Yeah. And so from Shapiro's angle, Yang and Tucker sounded a lot, a lot alike, but for me, they sounded totally different, right? Tucker was saying, forget about technology, forget about all the, you know, this relentless increase, just 
cap it off. And, you know, we're all perfectly happy the way we are. We don't need more, you know, whereas Yang says... Like India did with Gandhi in the 50s. How'd that work out for him? Well, you know, <laughs> that was the 50s, right? But, but, you know, there are some parallels there. I Granted, we live materially much better, but, yeah. uh, I mean, that was the lifestyle that was promoted from Gandhi, and, and now they're, they remain poor, and they're, they're on the edge of maybe changing that now with the largest right. population. I guess, I guess my, my point was that Yang was like, the, the technology is inexorable. You cannot stop it. So you might as well figure out how to use, how to deal with it, okay. how to deal with yeah. the Yang bucks thing to, to fix this. So I'm probably a little more on that angle, not I necessarily would. through UBI, but that's why I was saying other institutions yeah. that might support and foster sure. ways to, for people to have more face-to-face and social interactions. So, yeah. Well, once again, I think we figured out all of the, the world's world problems here. So yeah, we need to we need to get somebody to you know quadruple our salaries because we solved all the problems. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been a production of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University, and uh, if you uh, feel so inclined to, if you like what you heard, um, you can check out our other ones. We're kind of across the board on topics, but be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast app uh, you do, and that helps support our program, and we appreciate you listening. Be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.